Okay, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, come on out, Bruce. Uh, good morning, Redstone. How are we doing today? Pretty good. That was a lousy, pretty good. But uh, you guys doing okay? Right? All right. We don't want to make a big deal out of it, right? Um, no one's wearing orange. Just saying. Just saying. Matt, Matt Thomas is drinking out of an orange straw. That's about it. All right, there's no more Tennessee digs. I promise that was, that was it. All right, I've got Bruce Colson up here. But before we get to Bruce, uh, to reiterate what Sam said, uh, that what you have in your hand is not just a bulletin, uh, not just uh, words for lyrics, those kinds of things. We really want it to become a worship guide in which you interact with throughout the service, but then also that you take with you throughout the week and that you use this as either a personal discipleship plan or a family uh, devotion guide so that you can read the scriptures, that you can sing the songs, and even ask the questions of your kiddos uh, as you gather around the table, those kinds of things. So just know that that is a discipleship tool. So who is standing next to me to my right to your left? His name is Bruce Colson. Why are you standing here, Bruce? What do you have to say? Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here worshiping God with the Red Why do you give people? him such a like enthusiastic good morning? <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. It. That's, that's great. It. Yeah. He doesn't pull for the balls either, though. All right, sorry. No more digs. Hey, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right, so um, you have uh, some pretty exciting news going on in your world, but then also in the global world that you would like to share with us. So just give us a little bit of a window, open up the window for us. What exactly is going on right now as we speak, and then what you anticipate later, later in the fall? Yes, when, uh, when the church up in Green Bay, Wisconsin decided to kick us out, I mean, retire us, uh, Nadja and I said, okay, what are we going to do now? And we thought about the cross-cultural experience we had, the number of missionaries that Brazil was sending out, and we said, you know what? Maybe we really ought to focus on encouraging missionaries on the mission field. So we formed Vision 360 Ministries to accomplish three purposes. One was to help the missionaries and pastors train leaders, uh, to encourage the missionary and spend time with them as they're on the field. And then we, the third one developed, which was helping the Makua people in northern Mozambique get out of the extreme poverty in which they live. So uh, we've been involved in doing that over the last uh, 18 years. We've been to Mozambique about 10 times. We've now developed a rapport with the people there in leadership training. Uh, we spend, uh, we live with Clever and Juracema while we're there. Uh, just have a, a lot of times just informal discussions and encouraging them. And uh, then the work with the Maku people has kind of evolved to the point a few years ago, we saw that so many of their children were suffering from sickness and even death from the quality of water that they were drinking. So we got this vision to provide filters for each home so they could drink clean water. And we even had a church up in Wisconsin raise the lion's share for that project. We were excited about it, but it just never happened. And we couldn't, you know, we were working on it, but it just didn't happen. And now we understand why, because God had a better plan. And that was the village drill. The village drill was developed by uh, the engineering department at Brigham Young University where uh, the people themselves can drill their own well and it'll go uh, up to 140, no, 240 feet into the ground so they can reach the really clean water. 
And uh, so that's what we're doing now. And this is really exciting because the village drill is on its way to Mozambique. Uh, we're trying to coordinate our trip to be there when it arrives so that uh, we can uh, watch and be a part of the training that's going to go on. We have a trainer coming from Kenya who has already had experience with the village drill. He's going to train a couple master drillers there in Mozambique who will then go out and drill wells. And uh, our goal, if God provides, is that we would see Clever in the 20 years that he's been there, some 90 churches have been planted amongst the Makua people. It's amazing. It's just a move of God. <clears throat> and our goal is to see uh, a village well by near every one of those churches to provide clean water for the people. So that's, that's exciting, and that's, that's why we're excited. Good. All right. So do you know anything about the apparatus, uh, apparatus itself? Is it big, clunky? I mean, it, it, hard uh, to use? The, you know, yeah, anyway. it's very easy. It's a manual one. It's, uh, it's powered by men. Three or four guys get around this big old flywheel and start turning it, and the thing goes down into the ground. And uh, uh, I, I was going to, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sorry I didn't get it ready, but I will get ready in the future Sundays. I will have a video back there that you can stop by and just look and watch this thing operate. It is absolutely amazing. And it comes completely apart. There have been places where they've taken the village drill. By the way, it's in 23 different countries. Over a thousand wells have been dug. And there was one place they even took it by canoe. Wow. That's great. So it's very portable. It can go to places that the typical uh, well drilling rig cannot go. That's great. All right, two more questions, and we'll wrap up. One, what does the rest of your fall look like? What will you be doing? And then two, how can we be praying for you and Neji as you guys travel and plan to be in Mozambique by the beginning of November, something November, like that? November, yeah. yeah. We'll be uh, traveling to Mozambique uh, the 5th of November through the 20th. So obviously prayer is such a key part of that because we make plans and we think what we're going to do, but often we see God doing things that we never thought of. So uh, prayer is so key to that. Uh, I'm not getting any younger, so pray for my health. You know, I don't care if I go to glory on the mission field, but you know, Neji probably has some thoughts yeah, okay, about that. <laughs> so uh, pray that uh, health will continue to be with us. And, uh, the, the rest of this month, uh, we're going to, I'm going to be traveling some because we're still needing some funds for this. And so I'll be going and traveling, visiting some churches. So pray for safety for that. Uh, pray for our Makua brothers and sisters. Uh, the, world, uh, the, the World Bank says that people who live on less than $2 a day live in extreme poverty. I think somebody just mentioned that. Carlos mentioned it here a while ago. Um, and most of the Makua people live in that situation. They are subsistent farmers trying to grow enough food to live on, and it's very difficult for them. So providing water for them now gives them the opportunity to have a longer growing season and start growing uh, gardens and more produce, which could absolutely change their lives. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, so we have Camp Redstone in here with us today. All right, so we want to kind of walk through some things. Number one, how do you spell Makua? So if you're in, uh, if you're writing these down to pray for the peoples of the world, how do you spell Makua? M-A-K-U-A. Good, good. So we're going to begin praying for the Makua people, those types of things. And then also, what is the pastor that we're continuing to engage? Yeah, his name is Kleber. 
K-L-E-B-E-R, Clever, and they're uh, just a dedicated couple. They've given their whole lives. They've been in Mozambique 21 years, uh, and it's not easy there. Um, as a lot of missionaries have gone even to the city they live in, in Nampula, stayed a year or two and left. They've been there 21 years, so we really believe God has called them to that. And then back on the stoop table, uh, we brought some little cards that shows uh, the village drill, uh, our hope of providing clean water for the people. So if you'd pick one of those up, take it home, and just pray for us, that's the key thing because through prayer, God does what he wants to do. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, let's pray for him now. Jesus, uh, you love the nations more than we do, and uh, yet you've given us a strong commission uh, to go to all the nations and to proclaim your good news and baptize brothers and sisters in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So thank you so much that among the Makua people that there have been 90 churches that have planted, have, that have been planted, um, and uh, this is just a remarkable thing. And just the fact that this great vision of having a well beside every church, uh, besides all of these uh, small villages all throughout Mozambique and Nampula is really remarkable. And so thank you for this vision. Thank you for uh, just the, the challenges because it continues to help us to live a life of both prayer and then also a life of faith. And so thanks for that. Uh, Jesus, we are so grateful for Bruce and Neji. Thank you for a lifetime of service to you that uh, they know nothing about retirement and when they could have easily just uh, uh, been growing their own garden. Uh, they care more about uh, the fields uh, in Mozambique uh, than, than almost anything. So thank you for that. Thank you that for this model and just the uh, um, persistence that they have shown us. So as they continue to travel, and as they continue to fundraise and as they begin to, to, to plan for this big trip to actually see a real well um, um, uh, come to be, uh, I pray for safe travel, uh, but then also that, uh, that they would be filled with uh, the boldness of your spirit so they would be able to speak the, the wonderful news of Christ Jesus to the nations. And we ask this in your good name. Amen. All right, so this is Bruce Colson, everyone. Give him a hand. This is, the, this is the awkward transition that I have to go get my stand. Sorry. All right. Okay, y'all. Oh, okay. Um, um, I was wondering why Will was still standing there. Because we're, we are now blending the mission moment and our giving moment. Thank you, Will. If not, I would have just preached and it would have been gone. All right. So, awkward transition number two. Um, so, the vision is that we begin to see what the Lord is doing around the world, right? And we are able to see what the Lord is doing or allowed Redstone to do um, as a church body. And we get to come alongside those types of moments and we're able to give monies. And so um, it costs money to turn on these lights, right? It, it takes a little money to print those bulletins, but then also to continue to engage uh, missionaries abroad and those types of things. It just, it takes kingdom money. And so we really wanted to glue rather than just have money or have giving as just a separate piece of our worship service. We actually wanted to glue it toward missions so that our hearts and our minds begin to see that, wow, our monies are going someplace and they are doing things. And so that's what we'll do now. And so uh, we've got men in the back that are going to take up uh, today's offering. We've already prayed for Bruce, and so we'll let that be that. And then Will is going to sit in that chair and fiddle around. So uh, pray about how the Lord would want to have you engage in giving.
if you don't mind, go ahead and grab your, either your worship guide or turn to uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and following, and this will be uh, today's reading. So again, yeah, it's the, it's the first flap on your, your worship guide. Or you can open your scriptures to Mark chapter 2, 13 and following. We have been in Mark now, I think five weeks, and, or this will be our fifth week. And we are just now starting to, to crack out of chapter 2. So going a little slowly, but that's, that's a good thing. Now, what you're about to hear and what I, I kind of the, the, the picture that I want you to have in your mind, and again, I'm trying to um, talk a little bit to Camp Redstone and engage them a little bit, is that there's two paths, all right? So if you want, kind of want to draw just two lines, you know, on the front sheet or the back sheet, or just there, there's two paths that will, will, you will begin to see in this passage. And uh, there were actually two divergent, even though they're, they, they may, may look parallel and they may look similar, they're actually divergent and they're very, very different from one another. And what Jesus is trying to do is make it very easy on us to give us a, a choice, either A or B, you know, door number one or door number two. He's trying to make it easy on us by just limiting it to two options. Um, but again, as we read, just know that we've, we've got some paths to look at and to almost scrutinize uh, throughout the morning. So Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and following. And he went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And, this is Levi, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclined with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes, uh, and the scribes, um, and sorry, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well need, have no need of a physician who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When, now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to them, why do John's disciples, um, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And these days, or these, uh, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch will tear away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into wine, old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as he made his way, his disciples began to pluck grains, uh, heads of grain. And the, or the Pharisees were saying to them, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of, uh, house of God at the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, 
but not man, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And jumping down to Mark chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says this, And if Satan has risen up against itself and is divided, he cannot stand, but, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good, unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he must plunder his house. And this is the word of God. All right, so Jesus is here, and he's with crowds, and he's with these religious leaders. And despite the crowds and despite the popularity, uh, Jesus is beginning to kind of ruffle some feathers, and he's beginning to make a stir. Uh, for the longest time, Jesus was the popular one. All right, he was on the, the in crowd. Everybody was wanting to be with him. But here, uh, last week and now this week, we're starting to see some things really, really change. You see, because Jesus, all right, we always thought that Jesus was a part of just the religious culture there in Judea, in Judea and in Jerusalem. He was just a part of it. But slowly but surely, one teaching after another, one action after another, Jesus is starting to, to, to detach from, uh, from the religious culture. Now, he's done some questionable things, right, in his leadership those, the, thus far. He's both used words and he's used actions that have broken free from kind of traditional thought. So think about the, the first chapter. Now, the first thing he does that was really kind of caught everyone by surprise is that he reaches out and he touches someone who is unclean, right? And so they, they see that and they think, wow, that is something different because a holy man, someone who, who has, right, who is supposed to be a part of the religious culture, they would never, ever think about touching something that was unclean. The second thing happened last week when we read through uh, chapter 2. Jesus looks at a person, and instead of healing them physically, which we've been able to see over and over, instead of just healing him physically, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And in a, in a strange way, Jesus is acting like God, and instead of just healing and being a humanitarian, he is actually embarking God-type qualities upon humanity and saying, Your sins are forgiven. Man, an explosion really, really happened. Well, Today, we actually see more and more provocative behavior by Jesus. It's, it's less about touching. It's less about forgiveness. And it's really about teaching. It's about tradition. What the, the culture that Jesus was born into was that of culture and tradition. And, and, and things were in rote memory. And people never, ever went against the status quo. And here we have Jesus actually bucking the system on purpose. And so this idea that Jesus was coming and he's going to be against the religious leaders is truly growing with every step of the way. All right, so we have Jesus who has claimed himself to be the Messiah, right? And he's about to attach himself to this religious culture of Judaism. We know that Ju uh, the Jewish nation has been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. They have their own nation. They have their own they have their own leaders, they have their own tribes, those kinds of things. Well, here we have, in the first century, we have very, very religious subcultures inside of Judaism. 
And we have one group particularly, particular that has risen above, above all the others, and those are called the Pharisees, okay? So you need to understand this word. These are Pharisees, and these are kind of the chief. These are the most popular. These are the guys that are kind of ruling the roost here in the first, first century, um, it happened uh, two years, 200 years before Jesus actually came onto the scenes. It was called the battle or the revolt of the Maccabee, uh, Maccabees. And we have the Pharisees rise to power, and they've been in power for about 200 years. So when the Pharisees walk around, they know, everyone else knows who's in charge. They are. They are the most persuasive. They have the most power. And even though they, are, they only, um, I think their population was about 1% of the whole society, they truly are the strongest and the wisest, and everybody listens to these guys. You have scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Herodians. We have all of these subsects, right? Uh, subsections, but it's the Pharisees. These guys are really on top. And these are the guys that Jesus really comes into clash with. We have two paths, right? Two divergent paths. One is to follow after tradition and religion. And the other path is to follow after Jesus. What looked like to be a similar path is actually widening. And we all have at our disposal today this idea is who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow after the religion or tradition? Or are we comfortable following after Jesus alone? And so that's really the question uh, for us. Here's where it can step on our toes a little bit, especially if you're over 40, like I am, right? Is that the Pharisees, right, are our conservative movement inside America right now, right? So if you consider yourself conservative, if you find yourself uh, as an evangelical, if you find yourself kind of in this kind of uh, the, the river of thought, guess what? This is the river of thought of the Pharisees. They held the scriptures really, really high. They had a moral standard. They could not stand the fact that the Greeks or the Romans were able to come in and, and walk in on their society and start to sway people towards secularism. So they were pounding a stake and like, no, this is who we are and this is our identity. And so they were true conservatives. They loved God, they loved morality, and they were trying to sway people back into a, an upright form. And so if you find yourself as kind of a religious conservative this morning, just know that you may have the tendency to be a Pharisee, to actually lean almost too strongly toward moralism, and you may jeopardize actually what it means um, to follow Jesus, all right? And so I say that uh, kind of treading lightly because I don't know whose toes I'm stepping on, but if you find yourself, that remember that if you hold tradition up too highly, especially when it's higher than Jesus, there is a conflict of interest here. And the conflict of interest is that Jesus should win every single time. All right, so there's really going to be one teaching this morning, okay? Um, but we have three separate stories that we have to understand, all right? So if you're outlining this, uh, just know that in, in all of these things, whether Jesus is calling Levi and eating with sinners, whether he is asked why he doesn't fast, or whether he's asking why is he making a meal on the Sabbath, even though these are three separate stories, they really are kind of one big umbrella um, at, at one time. And so this is what you should know. So the outline goes like this. Jesus walks into some kind of environment with some type of action. 
Usually it's provocative in nature because what he's, the, sto- the toes that he's stepping on are truly traditional and truly religious. And if you are in the tradition and if you're religious, you should not act this way. So what we'll see three times is Jesus' action. And usually this action is pretty provocative. Number two is we will see the religious leaders, these Pharisees, rise up and ask the question, why? Why are you able to do this or why don't you do this? And so every time you see the word why, you probably should, should circle that because this is kind of the religious or the conservative reaction to Jesus is why do you not act the way that you are supposed to act? Don't you know that you shouldn't be acting this way? You should know, your, you should know the rules, man. Come on. And so that's the kind of reaction, right? And then Jesus very sternly, he's done an action on purpose. He knew the reaction was coming. And then he gives us a pretty simplistic but a thought-provoking teaching at the very end. So action, confrontation, and then a reteaching is kind of the flow that you need to kind of understand. Make sense? And so all of these actions will have a reaction and then a corresponding teaching that goes with it. Make sense? All right, so let's, let's, let's look at the first thing. The first thing is the, this idea of why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? So the question that he is asked, that these, these Pharisees are asking Jesus is, why are you eating? Okay, so that's the question. Why are you eating? The second pericope, all right, or the second section is the fact that why don't you eat? It's this question about fasting. So first, Jesus gets in trouble for eating. Now he's in trouble for not eating because he's not fasting. Make sense, right? And then the last pericope or the last section is this idea is that why are you making a meal on the Sabbath? Like why are you plucking grains of of, of wheat on the Sabbath? Don't you know you can't make a meal for yourself on the Sabbath? So Jesus is getting in trouble for eating, eating too much and eating at the wrong time. Okay, so it all comes down to this idea of table fellowship. If we could understand table fellowship this morning at the end of all of this eating, not eating, eating too much, eating at the wrong time, those kinds of things, we will have farther, we will be able to understand what it means to follow Jesus or understand the idea that we are religious. All right, so Jesus is giving us really two different choices. Either you can follow me or you can follow tradition. He's trying to make it really, really easy on you and I. So the consistent theme in Jesus's life thus far, and again, I understand that we're only in chapter 2, verse 13, but the consistent theme so far is Jesus is saying, follow me. Make sense? I mean, that's, 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 what, he's, that's what he's about so far, is following me. Going back to verse 13. And when he went out uh, beside the sea, and the crowds were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he was passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said, what's he say? Class, what's he say? Two words. He just says, follow me, right? This is the third time we've seen this phrase, right? Do you remember back in chapter 1? He's talking to two sets of brothers. And what does he say? He says, Okay, he's just saying, follow me. These are the commands so far. So if there is a moral indictment, if there is some kind of standard, what is the standard here in the first couple of chapters of, 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 of Mark? It's simply following after Jesus. 
And it's, it's the fact that the people are having a harder time following Jesus now because uh, he's stepping on some, some, some toes. Remember this idea of following after me. It's a big deal in the, in the book of Mark. Nineteen times in this book alone, Jesus says to follow me. But he doesn't just say follow me, does he? He says, drop your nets and follow me. He says, leave your father and follow me. Get up from the tax booth and follow me. And so in a real sense, it's, there's more going on in this small little equation than just two simple words. There is truly a change in your life that something has to be dropped on the floor. You have to leave something in order to take something back up. You're actually going to have to forsake something before you're able to follow after somebody. Make sense? You actually have to walk away from something before you can follow Jesus. He will not let you stay the way that you are. And for some of us, our identity is someplace else or in somebody else. And Jesus says the only thing, the only identity that is important is me. That's why you have to follow after me. Capital M, me. I'm not about a movement. I'm not a great idea. I'm a person. You have to follow after me. And so if there's a moral standard here, Jesus is saying, I am it. So the types of things that I say and the types of things that I am doing represent the kingdom of God more than the religious traditions that you are more comfortable with. Jesus seems reckless at this point in the story, but he's trying to dismantle this idea that this, or the scaffolding that has been put in place. And so, for instance... Uh, let's, just, let's just take eating, for instance, and we'll get to this. Uh, um, I, for whatever reason, I eat with my plate in front of me, right? Most people do. Um, I like to have, because I'm left-handed, all right, so fork in my left hand and, my, and a knife in my right hand, right? And I go to business, right? So this is how you will find me at a table. Fork, knife, plate, like this, right? That's okay, I can push things with my fork I can, or, or my knife. I can like uh, clean up with my knife. I can cut things with my knife. But I'm a two-utensiled eater. Make sense? All right, this is how I feel the most comfortable. Whether it's tradition, whether somebody taught me that way, whatever. But you can find me like this. Like this, right? This is how it's done, right? That's fine and good. However, if I say, if you are not a fork and a knife kind of guy, then you are not welcomed in the kingdom of heaven. You have to do this. It has to look like this. There's a bunch of folks in here that would be like, uh-uh, I don't mind the way you do it, right? But if you start making me a one fork and one knife kind of guy, I don't think that's for me, right? So this ticky-tacky type of some things that are happening inside the religion and inside of tradition is actually what's coming on. And Jesus is trying to dismantle it all. And he's simply given us a command, two paths, follow after me or follow something else. And usually this idea of following Jesus, you're actually going to have to forsake something. You're going to have to drop something in order to follow Jesus. If you are in college here and you are a business major, um, the kingdom of God is not nice to you. 
if you're a businessman in here, right, and you, and you own a small business or those types of things, the kingdom of God is not real nice to you. Now, before you, all the non-industry people in here, right, if you are a family man or a family woman in here and you're a homebody, sometimes the kingdom of God is not very nice because so far Jesus has asked three, four, five men, right, two sets of brothers and an individual, to walk away from a vocation and to walk away from his family. Are jobs and family important? Yes. But in comparison to following Jesus, you must drop this in order to see this thing lifted up. And so this is what he is calling Levi to, is that you have to follow after me. All right, so how does it happen? How does this thing go down? Verse, um, man, I'm getting blind. Nicole, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. All right, verse 15. I think. All right, verse 15. And he reclined at table uh, in his house, which is Levi, okay? And he, he, this is Jesus, reclined at table in Levi's house with many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were, um, so there were many who were following them. Now, the scribes of the Pharisees, they had some, a bone to pick with Jesus. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, and here's your, your kind of the first question, all right? And again, these, there's three separate questions, three separate why questions, but they're very, very similar. So if we can understand kind of table fellowship, we can blanket statement on fasting and, 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 uh, and Sabbath and really kind of get some traction going. So why in the world? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus, with perceiving ears, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. So Jesus is simply eating, right? This is not what. They have no problem with Jesus eating. It's who he is eating with. He has joined table, or just the, the phrases, he is at table, or the other phrases, he is reclining at table with tax collectors and with sinners. These people could not be more despicable. In fact, there's all kinds of things, and I can upload the notes if you want to, just to see all the things that, that I mean, they just hated about tax collectors. Uh, for one, they were not allowed in the temple. Two, gave some money. The priest actually had to give it back. I mean, they couldn't uh, hold an office. I mean, it was just, it was, they were despised. And then there's this other category, that there were tax collectors and what? Sinners. Like, I don't know who these people are, but you've done some really bad stuff if you just get the title sinners, right? Like, okay, those are the sinners. And so these are the people that are in, in this house with Levi and with Jesus. And Jesus is sharing a meal with them. And this is where Jesus crosses the line. Obviously, Jesus is okay with the crowds. He's okay, uh, and, the, and the religious leader are okay with the teachings. But when you start eating with people, I'm going to just literally raise the roof. You are out of bounds. Touch lepers. Say forgiveness, right? But don't. I mean, tax collectors and sinners. These are the most despicable people, Jesus. Don't you know who they've done and who they've cheated and what, they are, what they're capable of and they're just, their, they're just their mantra of, of life is for me to, to rob other people? And so Jesus is like, yeah, these are my people. And so the action of Jesus is that he ate, but that he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. 
There was no problem at this point with eating. It's who you share a, a table with. Because a table means business or a business interaction, right? Or a table means intimacy, right, on a date. Or a table means collaboration and a party and, and some kind of feast. And whether you're doing business or whether you're on a date or whether you're just having a party, all these things mean that you are like, welcoming people in close to you. And this is what the, what the Pharisees or this is what the religious people, they could not stand because for the religious leaders, they had to work in order to get God's approval. They had to do Torah, or they had to keep all the laws in order for God to accept them. And this behavior allowed them to be righteous. And so this behavioral ethics, if I act this way and not this way, God will accept me. And Jesus is wiping it clean with one simple statement. Either you are sick and in need of a physician, or you don't need anyone at all. And the danger for the kingdom of God are people who are too independent that you do not need anyone at all. The kingdom of God is made up of people who raise their hand and say, I am sick. I'm in need of something. The self-sufficiency will not do in the kingdom of God. And just this understanding of religion and tradition is that what is up to me, that there's a very large ladder from you to God, and you have to do something every single day to climb a rung, to get something right, so that you one day, one day, that you will come to some kind of agreement with God that I'm good enough to be in your presence. The kingdom of God knows nothing of that world. The kingdom of God knows that we're sick in need of a physician, sick and need healing. And for you to be sick, you're going to have to say, yeah, I will never even get on a ladder. I can't even have enough strength to even get up one rung. I can't make it. I'm in need of a Savior. And so the table fellowship was this idea is that the outsiders are now insiders. The despicable are now really, really close. Welcome to the kingdom of God, where outsiders are insiders, and the despicable are in close and following after Jesus and welcomed at his table. And so for the religious culture of the, the, of the deep south, this is where we will step on our own toes. Some of us in here have gone back to some type of tradition or some kind of action that you have done in order for God to accept you or find you okay with him. Maybe it's because your grandfather was a pastor. Maybe it was because your, church is, or your, your family has never not gone to church. Maybe it was one date way back in your history where you walked an aisle or something like that. Going to church and having a grandfather as a minister and being baptized, those are all beautiful things. But all those things can be very traditional as well. And that you are placing your faith on an it and not a person. And the person of Jesus Christ, he will continue forever until he comes back to say, follow me, the person of Jesus, to follow me. And so this is the same, um, the same thing that's happening in fasting and in the Sabbath. 
Uh, I really wish that we had time, but I'll just, um, let me just read through it real quick just to give you kind of the, 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 the to accentuate the points. Uh, verses uh, 18 and following. Now John, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. They were not eating, right? They were being good little boys and girls, all right? And the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Like, what is going on? Don't you know the rules? And he's like, yeah, maybe, all right? And then Jesus said to them, can the wedding feast, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with him? As long as uh, they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Instead of talking about fasting, Jesus starts to talk about a party. Make sense? So now, what looked religious, where Jesus and the religious looked really, really, really close, now the religious are talking about fasting, and Jesus is talking about a party, a party that lasts seven days, where wine and food and dancing and singing and just, I mean, just laughter and just a chaos and fun and just, I mean, it's just, he's talking about that kind of world, and they're talking about fasting. Is fasting wrong? No. We would encourage you to fast, but in light of the kingdom of God where there's truly a party at hand, Jesus said you could not be any different. And then in the same way, in the same way, um, uh, flipping to uh, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And they made, uh, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. All right, just using their hands, you know, in a field. And just kind of, like when you were a kid, just kind of plucking grains, uh, heads of grain. And the Pharisees, obviously watching them, walking, walking through a field, the Pharisees, uh, we're saying, look, why? Here's the third why question. Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Don't you know the rules? Stay in your lane. Do something right for a, uh, for a change. You call yourself religious and you're not acting that way. Here, let me get you back in line. Let, you, let me explain it to you again. These kinds of things. They could not handle the fact that Jesus is the definition of fasting is the definition of Sabbath, and is the definition of eating. Everything boils down to Jesus. And so uh, they, just, they just could not handle it. The kingdom of God right, is not about what you are able to do to get to the Father. It's what Jesus has done. And that cannot be any more clear than at the end of this strong section about demons and about the devil. If you've got your Bible, let's flip to verse 22. It's a strange way to end, but if, you, if, we're, not, if we're not careful, the two paths, we just want you to know where the, the second path is going to end, uh, end up. The Pharisees and the scribes, they've already called him blasphemous. Um, they're going to call him something pretty strong here in a second. Verse 22 says this of chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 and following. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. So Beelzebul is uh, just a, another name for Satan or, or the devil. And by the prince of demons, he is casting out demons. Essentially, they're calling Jesus the devil, or at least a demon. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Of course I'm not the devil. If so, I wouldn't be casting people out. And, and here's the kind of the parable, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Verse 26, and this is what we printed, and this is what we would love for you to circle and think about. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. One more time, verse 27. But no one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless something happens first. The only way you can break into a strong man's house and plunder his goods is unless you, you first bind the strong man and then you're able to take his goods. There are two divergent paths. One is to follow after Jesus and one is to follow after tradition. And if you continue on this path of tradition, you will call Jesus blasphemous. And at the end of the day, you may end up calling Jesus Satan himself. And so what looks like a path that is pretty close because they're in the same kind of religious stream will end up being divergent. And you will truly have to be able to choose. Is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? Because this parable about a strong man and a house is about this world and who is owning this world right now. And the strong man really is Satan. And the house is, this, this earth really is his home. And so how can someone come and plunder a strong man? There's only one way that you can do that. is to go in and tie up the strong man. And then you're able to plunder his goods. So who is going to bind Satan? Who is going to break into Satan's house and truly just capsize everything that he sees as, as important? That's Jesus Christ himself. That's something that you and I cannot do. In a strange way, Jesus becomes the stronger, uh, strong man. He becomes like the pirate king. All right? He is the one who is plundering, and he is the one who is binding the strong man. Jesus has come to bind Satan. It's not ironic that Jesus' very first miracle here in the book of Mark is that he has cast out an unclean spirit. Jesus is not just giving away little moments of wisdom and just making other people well. He has come with one purpose and one purpose only, is to let you know that the kingdom of God is here. And the only way that the kingdom of God can be right here is if there's going to be a, an exorcism or truly a pushing out of another kingdom, which is Satan himself. Evil, evil will pass away and Jesus will bind the strong man. And the plunder, guess what the plunder is? It's not silver, it's not gold, it's you and me. He will take us from the evil forces and make us his own. That is the type of king that we worship. And so it looks like it's just a, a conversation about religion. It looks like it's a conversation just about tradition. But there's so much more going on. Jesus says, follow me because it's only me. It's only I. I'm the only one who will be able to do verse 26. I'm the only one who can step into 
the strong man's house, tie him up, and plunder. Jesus wants us to follow him and to follow him with great sincerity and love and devotion. Let's pray. So first and foremost, Jesus, uh, thank you for binding the strong man. There's no house that's divided in the kingdom of God. It is all one big house. And it's because we come underneath your lordship. So thank you so much. Jesus, I pray as a church body that we find ourselves loving you more because of Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. We're loving you more, but Jesus, help us to be oh so very cautious of our tradition. Help us to be cautious of our religious tendencies, of our moralism. Jesus, we want to follow after you. Some of you in here may be of the religious nature. And the only thing that you can point to potentially is an it. And the only validity that you have in, in, in your walk with Jesus is that not that you're following after Jesus today, but that you're going back maybe even two decades of something that you did to accomplish God's approval. I would question that very seriously this morning. Jesus says that I have come to fulfill the law. I've come to redefine every tradition and every religious exercise so that everything is summed up in me. So if you're in here this morning and potentially following too closely after religion or tra tradition and not following after Jesus, we've got a crew in the back uh, who would love to pray for you and just walk you through what it means to follow after Jesus. And so Jesus, as we walk to this table, as we walk up to understand ta table fellowship very personally, Jesus, help us to worship you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus um, does not just recline at table with tax collectors and sinners in the year 2030 or so. He comes alongside you and I and he welcomes you and me to walk and to dine and to recline and to, to have table fellowship with him today. And so if you are in need of a physician, if you find yourself, if you raise your hand and say, no, I'm the sick one in the room Understand that this table is for you and Jesus really wants you to come to this table and for us to continue to come to this table until he returns. Jesus uses um, eating analogies a lot. Uh, first and foremost, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body given for you. He's still using kind of table language. He loves the table. He loves to consume food because Food and drink just represent the kingdom of God in such an amazing way. But he says, right, what was once just consumed for nourishment, I actually have to give my life for your spiritual nourishment. And so not only that passage, but in the verses to follow, he then passes a chalice of wine. Jesus truly is the new wine. He is the new covenant because the new covenant is not just obeying the rules. The new covenant has to do with having your sins forgiven. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant to forgive you of your sins. I have to have my blood poured out for you. And so in this giving and in this pouring, understand that you are welcomed to the table. 
if you're following after Jesus, not after things, not after movement, if you're following after Jesus this morning, just know that these, uh, that these, these guys want to serve you this meal. And so in the four corners of the room, and I'll be up front, we will serve this meal to you for whoever uh, are following Jesus. Um, if there's just something in your heart this morning, things in your mind that are just, uh, just off and you're, you're, you maybe have some doubts that you didn't have and would like somebody to pray with you, um, uh, Bruce is in the back um, today and, and would love to pray with, with anyone who, who needs prayer. And so let me, let me pray for this meal and then uh, we, will, we will stand and partake. Jesus, uh, this meal is, is a definition of who you are and a definition of your kingdom. For you are about giving your life away for the fulfillment of others. Jesus, help us to look at this bread and to look at this cup in a very different way. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us to the table. We could not earn a place at the table. You had to do that for us. Help us to be a partying people this next uh, 15 minutes. Allow us to understand that you have welcomed us into liberation and freedom and celebration and song because we have nothing else to, nothing else matters. The strong man has been bound. Victory is ours. And so allow this to be a meal of celebration. And we ask this in your good name. Amen. So go ahead and stand and rise. Again, there's four guys uh, taking or uh, serving a meal to you. So go ahead and take a, um, uh, the, uh, the little cup and, and a little piece of bread. And you can circle up if you want to, if that's um, something that you and your family wants to do. But at this point, you can take, take the meal.